0: Well, its 9:01, and I'm Jay Barrett, and this is the regular COVID Brief. We have Dorotha Ferraro and Lauren Carroll uh, joining us, our uh, regular friends who uh, take a half hour out of their Thursday every week to talk to us about COVID and uh, all things COVID, really. Uh, do I have you all on the line? Dorotha, are you there?
1: Good morning, I am and can hear you just fine.
0: Excellent, do you have any echo?
1: nope all is good
0: that's terrific lauren carroll are you there hey
2: jay morning you're loud and clear and i don't have an echo. sounds great
0: wonderful okay well let's uh let's talk about it's been two weeks since we've uh we've uh, gathered and talked about uh the covid Dorothea, how are things looking as far as uh case rates and such in our area
1: well i will um, i'm happy to report that many things have changed um, over the month of november and um happy that we were able during that month to really start um, scaling down numbers and seeing things move in a more positive direction so um, a snapshot of sph weekly numbers Um, In the last week, we had only three ER visits related to COVID. And just a reminder, that's down, you know, from as many as 10, 12, 14, 15 back in the fall and um, late summer months. So three ER visits and only one new admission. Um, related to COVID. And then as far as testing goes, um, we collected 385 test swabs, and of those, 12 were positive. So that puts us at a 3% positivity rate. And this is only the testing that is done um, through South Peninsula Hospital. There are other places um, on the Southern Peninsula um, that one might get tested, um, but we certainly do run a high number here, so I think it's a pretty decent snapshot of the 385.12 were positive, a 3% positivity rate. And that's like about a three-week trend for us. We've been right at that two or three percent for the last three weeks. And um, the thing that follows um, closely with that is just the number of people seeking the um, treatment, um, folks that test positive and qualify for the monoclonal antibody treatment. And in the last week, we only did four of those. So again, um, all numbers trending down, which is a positive, um, positive direction. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's terrific. Numbers uh, trending positive by uh, going negative. I like it. I like it. There, there, are, uh, numbers that- that, there are numbers that
1: there are numbers that go up as well that are in a favorable manner, which is um, number of vaccines, and um, we do continue to administer vaccines um, not only to. Um, adults um, who are eligible, but also the vaccine um, FDA approval has really expanded in the last couple of weeks, um, and Lauren will probably speak to some of those new guidance, some of that new guidance.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's excellent. Uh, do you have a figure on um, how many uh, pediatric uh, vaccines you've administered?
1: I do not have that. I know that I, like I know how many we did at that original pod, but I don't know how many um, we've done since then. Well maybe while Lauren's talking, vaccines, I look on the state website to see if they have that track by age. I think the state website does. I'll take a peek.
0: Oh, terrific. Thank you. Lauren Carroll, uh, how are things uh, statewide? We just heard that our positivity rate around here is down around 3%, which is about a third of what it was uh, for most of the fall here. Uh, how are things looking in general from your perspective?
2: Well, it's looking much better than it did a few weeks ago. You know, when looking at the uh, the alert map, it's nice to see colors other than red. Um, so, But in regards to nationally, you know, we're still above the national average in regards to new cases of COVID-19 that are reported. Uh, But about half of the states are, you know, busier than we are, and half are not. So we're kind of right in the middle in regards to reporting new cases. So that's good news. Um, Also good news, trending in in a more positive direction, is there's currently 76 folks hospitalized in the state of Alaska right now with COVID-19 and 13 of those are um, surviving on, a, on ventilation or on a vent. Um, so that's much better than it was several weeks ago. And this kind of mirrors where we were at in regards to COVID hospitalizations back in the last of July, right when Delta was ramping up. Um, so also notable too is, you know, we're clearly not out of the woods yet. Hospitals are still struggling across the state in regards to capacity. So a couple examples there. Of how it's going is ANMC. That's Alaska Native Medical Center. Their ICU is closed, um, so they cannot accept any more clients, and they're diverting um, some folks from the emergency department. But Alaska Regional um, Providence Alaska Medical Center, um, their ICUs are open, and their non ICU, non ICU, pardon me, is, uh, is is near capacity.
3: Wow.
0: Okay. Um I see that the um, vaccination rate for our area is uh, slowly edging up. We're about 46% since they added uh, kids 5 to 11 to the list. We had just broken 50 before that. Um, How are things going? Are are the vaccinations going apace uh, as expected? Uh, uh, What's the state's perspective on that?
2: you know it it continues to inch up and that's uh that's great that's moving in the right direction slow and steady um in terms of the entire country everyone that's ages five and up so everyone who can get a vaccine about 75 percent fully vaccinated so that's great uh down here in southern kenai peninsula about 53 percent are fully vaccinated um And here in Homer proper about 67% fully vaccinated and that's great and I think too it's it's notable that uh now that folks all uh, adults should get a booster how are we doing uh country wide in the nation about one out of every five folks have been boosted um or about 42 million folks so that that's really great news
0: all right uh you know we have uh Peggy Urkineff on the line who uh uh, has to take off here really soon. Let's, uh, let's jump over and uh, get a report from the school district's uh, spokesperson. How are you this morning, Peggy?
3: I'm good, good morning, everybody. And like Dorotha said, the numbers trending downwards um, is true for our schools as well. And anybody as a reminder can check the dashboard that we have that we're still posting each day if there's any positives in schools with staff or students that are both reported um, to the school or that are through a test at the school or close contacts i do want to share that we have a new close contact protocol that went into place on at uh, the 29th the monday after um, thanksgiving weekend and it's called monitor test and stay in school and there's multiple reasons that this went into place and there's a story on the website about that but part of it was how can we keep more children in school when they're identified as close contacts and then also keep staff working Um, as you know i've talked a lot about the need for substitutes and then looking at what some other school districts are doing across the country that's been fairly effective and we know that in the schools we're we're fairly confident that we have so many layered protocols in place to assist now um, versus when we started school in August, we'd let go of some of those things, but then Delta really took off. So our schools have done a great job at doing more physical distancing and pods and different things that they can put into place that are layers. But the new protocol is called monitor, test, and stay in school. And it's for anybody that's identified as a close contact. And there's three pieces with that. So the monitor is they need to remain symptom-free from any illness. so asymptomatic through the 14th day of being told that they were a close contact and they need to isolate at home if symptoms develop. And these that I'm describing are for, only for the ability to be able to be going to school and staying at school. It's not superseding what public health might call and tell somebody, but this is only for at KPBSD school sites or activities. So be symptom free. Wear a face covering at school and on the bus, if you ride the bus, at all times through day 14 unless you're eating um, or drinking. And in that case, you should be a minimum of three feet away from somebody. And then you need two negative COVID-19 tests. So an approved COVID-19 test on day one or the first day of return to school after being identified as a uh, close contact. And then a second test during day five to seven. And KPBSD can do those COVID tests with parental permission, um, or you could do one at another location. So those three things are in place for the monitor test and stay in school. The schools all know about this. We did a pilot program. The district did a pilot program at three different schools for several weeks before putting this into place district-wide a week ago Monday. And so far it's going well, and we're getting more feedback about refining it, but it's going well and keeping more kids in school, and more staff at school. The other piece around testing is the school district receives some at-home tests. And so we have those available free for our staff. And we hope to have enough supplies by winter break to be able to provide those to all of our students. So if they've traveled or they're around other gatherings, um, if they want to do an at-home test before they come back to school in January or at any time if they're symptomatic we should have those tests kits to be able to be going home by Christmas or winter break so we're looking forward to that new development as well just as one more layer
0: oh excellent excellent uh and anything you'd like to add I know you've got the uh, EMS meeting to go to
3: just, again, thanking everybody. And it's cold outside, so make sure everybody's dressing warm. And um, just thank you, everybody, for everything that we're continuing to do and how we're being kind and supporting each other.
0: All right. Well, thanks for joining us uh, today. As usual, Peggy Erkineff from the Kenai Peninsula Borough School District. Uh, let's see. Um Let's see, Dorotha, uh, I've got a question here from the email. They are curious how the uh, federal vaccine mandate uh, is going at the hospital.
1: Well, as far as how it's going at the hospital, fine. As far as how it's going in general in the the nation, buckle your seatbelt is um, really all I can say. It's a lot of... um, a lot of moving parts based on decisions at um, the court level, not only um, district court, but um, by by judge um, rulings. So basically what happened was that the um, CMS mandate was to go into effect um, basically by December 6th, just even though they used the January date, that January 4 date is having your second dose if you do the two-dose series, which means that you needed to begin by that um, December 6th date, as well as having all the policies and um, exemption forms, et cetera, in place. And um, we were moving forward in um, doing that. We had adopted a policy, established all of our exemption guidelines, and rolled, rolled it out here at South Peninsula Hospital. And then on November twenty nine a Missouri judge um, ruled an injunction on the mandate. And the state of Alaska was one of the 10 states in that particular lawsuit. So immediately on November 29, Alaska, and nine other states um had the mandate um put on a stay and then on november 30th a different lawsuit there were about four different lawsuits um, that had been filed and um, a different one resulted in a an entire nationwide stay on the cms mandate so as of november 30 the entire healthcare. care um, um, the The entire mandate from CMS for healthcare vaccination is on a temporary hold. Um, CMS has filed an appeal, um, not certain of which of the rulings, but anyway, has filed at least one appeal. And so we are just waiting to find out um, where it all lands. So in the meantime, South Peninsula Hospital vaccine policy is temporarily suspended.
0: Ah, okay. Uh, do you have an idea of what the uh, rate of vaccination is at this point?
1: Yes. Um, as far as all employees, our entire team, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. we are at 70% um, fully vaccinated. And as far as um, patient care area, we are at 72%. I got to jump open my email just to make sure that it was 72 or 73. I'll take a peek. Okay, great.
0: Uh, Lauren, let me. Uh, let me ask you about the uh, the word of the week here, Omicron. That's the uh, latest variant out of South Africa. They found a couple of them in uh, America. Apparently, there was a 747 landed in London with uh, a bunch of people uh, infected by it. Uh, there doesn't seem to be much worry yet, but uh, how are how are these uh, um, variants? being viewed by the uh, by the state by uh, state uh, health folks
2: yeah that's a great question here you know in regards to what we know the omicron that's o-m as in mary o-m-i-c-r-o-n omicron variant it was first detected um in south africa um november 26 and that's a variant of concern and this is quickly evolving, uh, we actually uh, are finding evidence that it was uh, circulating in Netherlands in Western Europe before uh, South Africa uh, actually uncovered Omicron. Um, so it, at this point, you know, n- there's no cases identified in Alaska. Um, it does seem clear that it, it w- will be spreading across the globe over the next several weeks. Um, There is some anecdotal evidence that the illness might be milder than previous uh, variants, Uh, but what we don't know right now is uh, how the Omicron will uh, work with the vaccine or to what level the vaccines will be protective. Um, But evidence is is building on that right now, and we should know more in the next several weeks.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, when when the uh, COVID Uh, thing hit and we started talking about comparisons to other historical uh, pandemics one of the things i recall was that the the spanish flu pandemic uh as it had you know the second and third waves were were pretty strong but after that the waves petered out um uh, does is that what's happening here
2: yeah you know i guess i would say that you know no epic curve uh, goes up forever but we do see a lot of variations throughout the course of a pandemic and we're seeing that right now uh, across the globe uh, as well so a couple examples there are you know the united kingdom seems like that they're still struggling through delta kind of seeing some up and downs and we're seeing that in the us too but there's an overall downward trend Uh, But with Omicron, uh, what's concerning about it is there are a lot of new uh, mutations in that particular variant, which is making it very different from the ones that we've seen um, previously in this pandemic. So what that kind of means is we don't know if it's going to be more transmittable or less transmittable or if it's going to do more damage or not in regards to illness, uh, hospitalizations, and death. Uh, but the evidence is building on that right now
0: mm-hmm. could you tell us where uh variants come from and how, they, oh, how yeah. they develop
2: oh yeah sure thing you know when the virus is transmitted from one person to the next uh, a couple important points is the virus can't live outside of a host and it needs a host to do two things to survive and to replicate and when that virus replicates within a host or within a human Um, Each time that it replicates, there are uh, lots of mutations that occur in it, and it's the mutations of concern are the ones that pop up and that look to be uh, more transmittable or do more damage. Uh, But with this Omicron, what we're seeing is that there are up to 50 uh, mutations of, of the spike or, you know around the virus ball, there are these pieces that stick out of it that help it to get inside of a human and inside of a human cell and replicate. And these 50 or so uh, mutations of those spike proteins is what is very concerning because that's such a high number compared to what we've seen so far in the pandemic.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's uh, the fact that the disease is uh, basically running rampant, running free in some populations it is uh, uh, the opportunity for variants that are more virulent will be developed by through evolution, you know, there's so many of these things, Uh, and then those are more likely to be passed along, right?
2: You got it, but I guess, you know, the the good news, or as Joe McLaughlin would say, the upshot is this, is that we've got two years of experience on how to prevent the spread and we know how to do it. you know, getting vaccinated is the best way to protect against the COVID-19 uh, virus. And the COVID-19 vaccines, they're highly effective in not only reducing severe disease and hospitalization, but also uh, death. Um, so I guess I would say the best way to prevent the spread of the new variant uh, and other variants is to get vaccinated, get a booster if, if you're eligible, and wear a mask when you're in indoor settings or if you're around a crowded environment.
0: You know, I don't think the fact that the vaccine is so effective against death is getting enough, uh, enough airtime. You know, you think about getting a vaccine, it's like, well, it'll keep me from getting sick. But as we know, there are breakthrough cases and, um, you know, you might get sick, but the upside, as you say, is uh, it, it, you won't be as sick, likely, and you won't be as likely to die, Right.
2: Well, yeah, you said it, Jay. Uh, One thing that we know is that uh, those communities in areas that have a higher level of vaccination um, will continue to see uh, less deaths and less hospitalizations, but also less uh, disease
0: passing around the communities. Yeah, you got it, Jay. Cool. Um, Let me ask you about uh, uh, um, boosters. I became eligible here uh, this week. I'm going to wait until uh, – I have a cold right now. Should I wait until after my cold is done, just sniffling and sneezing?
2: You know, uh, I, I wouldn't wait because you have a cold. That's not a contraindication. Um, the only contraindication is, uh, you know, a severe reaction to a previous dose of that vaccine. Um, so they're incredibly safe. Uh, and actually, there's been, you know, four, <coughs> pardon me, 462 million – doses uh, administered right here in in the country so i guess i would say all adults uh are, are eligible and should get a booster if it's been at least uh six months after your second and final dose of of pfizer or moderna and at least two months after completion of your single dose of j&j okay um oh but pardon me jay i oh. would say one thing though is if 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 you have a common cold or think you do, it would be great to go seek testing because those signs and symptoms of respiratory illness are exactly the same for COVID or, or very similar, COVID versus a common cold. Uh, so seek testing.
0: Oh, you know, okay. That's a good idea. That's good advice. Uh, you know, and actually, yeah, I've been following this as closely as anyone for the last uh, two years. And, you know, I still find myself thinking... Well, you know, it's just uh, it's just a runny nose, and uh, you know, I'm sneezing once in a while. That's not a that, that's not uh, very high up on this list of uh, symptoms. But it, it's a good good lesson here. I mean, we should uh, not take this lightly.
2: Um, yeah, and you, and you know, asymptomatic folks can transmit the disease too. So one thing that we've seen throughout the pandemic is routine testing in places like healthcare settings or for travel. Um, sometimes we catch folks and prevent transmission of COVID-19 from one person to the next because of those uh, reasons to get
0: tested okay we have a caller on the line hi uh, you're on the air
4: i have a question but first i want to make a very brief statement and and that is that i was disappointed once again to hear derosa say that the hospital has suspended um, their vaccine policy for employees. Uh, last summer when I first got interested in this, I realized you were waiting to be told by the federal government what to do. So the pressure would be off you, but I'm disappointed that you're still waiting for the federal government to tell you what to do instead of doing the right thing and have your employees vaccinated. So that's my statement. But my question is, what, I don't think we've looked enough at the costs of all this. I know there was a question at an earlier, um, uh, COVID briefing, but I don't remember an answer and people are saying, Oh, what the vaccine costs taxpayers versus what the infusion costs taxpayers. And then the average hospitalization of course might be insurance, but if it's Medicare, it's going to be taxpayers again. So, what are those costs? And
0: I'll get off the air. That's a, that's a good question. Uh, what are the costs uh, financially of, uh, of the COVID? Uh, does anyone have uh, an idea, Dorothea?
1: Well, I'm sure somebody in um, the healthcare system has an idea. Um, I am happy to reach out and and see if i can figure something out at the local level our numbers just aren't high enough um, to have kind of an average cost and it would not really be appropriate for Uh, you know to look at an individual's um at at one individual's um journey and the cost of that particular journey because everybody's really different and everybody has a very different um reaction and experience with um this illness so um i can see if it like at the state level that's been calculated and and happy to share that um if so okay
2: you know just like a couple numbers i guess i would say that you know it there's a very large uh, degree of, of variation because it really depends upon the client and what kinds of care that they need. But in general, hospital costs average about 2600 bucks a day. So that's about 2600 bucks a day um, for hospital stay across the US, and that varies a lot. So California um, can be up to like 3700 while Wyoming can be around uh, 1300 Uh, But the cost of a single dose of of COVID vaccine um, paid for by the federal government is around $50 per dose, roughly. Mm, I guess I think, too, uh, very notable here is, um, you know, the the out-of-pocket costs for each individual or family that has COVID and has to be hospitalized, that can vary a lot, too. Um, And that's that's an important factor for some folks to think about in regards to choosing to take vaccine or uh, taking risk of getting disease or spreading it.
0: All right, uh, Lauren, I wanted to ask you about uh, uh, booster shots. I got the uh, Moderna series, um, and I'm uh, eligible now for the for the booster. Uh, the FDA says it's okay to mix and match these things. Uh, in light of Omicron, uh, is there? any reason I should uh, perhaps choose um, you know, a different, different booster than the Moderna that I, that I got initially?
2: You know, at this point, we're not certain of that yet, but what we do know is that Moderna, Pfizer, and the J&J vaccines have all been incredibly effective in preventing um, disease, hospitalization, and death from all previous variants. Um, but the science or studies are underway right now to answer that very question
0: hmm, okay well it is nine thirty. i want to thank you both for uh joining us and uh i want to thank especially our technologists back at the station for making everything run so smoothly this week uh lauren and uh, De- uh Dorotha, do you have any uh parting parting words for us today oh i mm. guess i would just oh pardon me
2: Dorotha go ahead
1: Oh, no, I was just going to remind everybody that um, testing and vaccines are available seven days a week um, at the site on Bartlett Street. So if you have a symptom or if you've been received a call that you were with a known positive, um, don't hesitate. Go test, please. And um, vaccines. Pfizer and Moderna are available seven days a week. And so that's not only for initial dose, second dose, but also booster um, or third dose. Um, Pfizer and Moderna, seven days a week. And the Janssen vaccines are available Sundays and Tuesdays. and you who listen regularly to this show, you already know it and you say, Dorothea, stop telling us this, but um, I just ask you to share it with your friends and neighbors because some folks still don't know where to go get tested or where to get a vaccine, so it's important that everybody knows how easy it is. Thank you.
0: You bet. Just drive up Bartlett Street and turn right before the hospital and uh, there's there's your clinic. There's a nice big sign. Lauren?
2: You know, as we learn more about COVID-19 and all of the variants, uh, CDC will update its guidance, you know, uh, according to that information. And then the state of Alaska will update uh, its recommendations. Um, so the recommendations are based on the latest data and we'll continue to monitor uh, the data as it becomes available. Thanks, Jay.
0: Okay. One last quick question was just uh, sent in. Uh, The caller is asking whether SPH is, again, open for all services. I don't have any background on that, but perhaps you do.
1: Um, Absolutely. SPH is open for all services. And we have been, even through the um, Delta surge, um, we were able to offer all services and only delayed two, I think two or three surgeries. um, And that was um, simply because of the the, um, number of hospitalizations we had at that time, that they were um, all rescheduled. So open for all services and also open for visitation right now. Um, um, Folks can have one visitor um, for, you know, if they are hospitalized. So um, things are a little relaxed right now.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you both for joining us uh, here today. And I wanna thank uh, Simon, Matt and Josh back at the station for making everything run so smoothly. I wanna thank uh, Dorotha Ferraro uh, Lauren Carroll and Peggy Urkineff. I'm Jay Barrett. This has been The COVID Brief.